Good evening. It's a blessing to be here with all of you as we continue worshiping on this Lord's Day. With that in mind, would you please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Tonight we'll begin working through Paul's second letter to Timothy. In fact, the last letter that he penned before his martyrdom. And as we read our text this evening, let me remind you that this is God's word. Holy and errant, undefiled, given to us for our edification, the strengthening of our faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the blessing that it is to gather together and continue to worship, to hear your word read and preached and sung. God, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together for prayer and fellowship through participating in the Lord's Supper, this visual picture of the communion that we have with you, the communion that we have with one another. God, that you purchased by the giving of your own life and the raising from the dead. God, we pray that your spirit would attend the preaching of your word tonight, that we'd be edified and built up, that we'd be strengthened in faith, that we would evermore look upon Christ, our Savior and Lord. It's in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, as I mentioned before our reading, this is the last letter that Paul wrote before he was martyred. And Paul is at the end of his days, and he is living under great suffering, but also with great faithfulness. Now, there tends to be two common tendencies that we see in life. Some approach the end of their life, and as they do, their thoughts and activities are turned inward. They grow selfish. And yet others, however, seem to increase in service. They come to the end of their life, and their thoughts and activities are, are outward. Outward in service, particularly to Christ and his church. And as Paul's days, literally the days as he writes, are coming to a close, we see that he is by no means coasting in comfort and caught up in selfish pursuits. Paul is in chains and he is suffering for the sake of the gospel. 2 Timothy 1.11, for which 
I was appointed a preacher, this gospel message, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. In chapter 4, verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul is suffering, and his end is near, and he is waiting for that day. It's coming close, and he's suffering, and he considers it a joy to do so. Paul is one who considers it a joy to suffer like his Savior. And not only is Paul in chains and about to be killed, but he has been deserted by those whom he formerly shared partnership with in the gospel. In 2 Timothy 4, 10 through 16, we'll get there at a later date, he lays out the many who formerly partnered with him in service to the gospel who have abandoned due to worldly pursuits and passions, who have given way to false teaching and false doctrine, who have abandoned the faith. And beyond all that, he's grieved by opposition from false teachers that plague the church, which he's mentioned a number of times and will mention a number of times in this letter and has already in his first letter to Timothy. And in light of all of this, Paul writes to Timothy and ultimately to all of Christ's church in order that he may, one, remind them of God's faithfulness to his word and promises. And two, to stir up Timothy, and by extension of Timothy, all gospel ministers and the whole church to faithfulness. As Paul pens this final letter, he wants to remind Christ's church that God is a faithful God. That he has called them to himself by his own will, by the grace of his own purposes and his mercy. That he will carry them on to the end. And that through this reminder, Paul would desire that Timothy and all of Christ's church would be stirred up, emboldened, exhorted, challenged to pursue faithfulness, even in the midst of a hostile world, a society that constantly bombards and opposes Christ's church. This is the world that Timothy is living in. And that the church of Ephesus is living in. And this has great relevancy to the church now as it did then. For we too live in a society that seems to be progressing at a rapid pace in immorality and hostility towards the church. We see it everywhere. And with that, we see many churches and those within the church abandoning the faith they once held dear. Pastors included, falling into immorality, false doctrine, and ultimately abandoning the faith all together. So just as Timothy and the church then needed it, ministers today and the church today needs to be reminded of who God is, what God has done, particularly in the person and work of his son, and what he's doing now, even through his church, and what he will do as he accomplishes all that he has promised in his plan of redemption. So with all this in mind, let us look to verses 1 through 7. As Paul begins the opening of this letter with an encouragement and an exhortation to Timothy and ultimately the church. 
Paul begins this letter by reminding us of three things. In verses 1 through 2, a reminder of his position, who he is, ultimately as an apostle of Christ. In verses 3 through 5, a reminder of a loyal and faithful past. In verses 6 through 7, a reminder of a present grace. A present grace that belongs to Timothy, and ultimately a present grace that belongs to you and I as members of Christ's church. So now to our first reminder, a reminder of Paul's position, verses 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of God that is in Christ Jesus. In verses 1 through 2, we see a reminder of Paul's present position in the church in relationship to the church. Verse 1 reminds us that his position is one of authority. He's an apostle appointed by Christ himself. So while this letter is addressed to Timothy, it is ultimately for all of Christ's church. We know this to be true because of the apostolic appeal that Paul makes, but also as we consider the closing verse of the letter, which says, may the Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you all. Now that final you there is in the plural, and as Chad mentioned this morning, could be read, y'all. The Lord be with your spirit and grace be with y'all. So it is for Timothy, and it is for all of Christ's church. Then, as well as now. And as it is typical with Paul, he reminds his readers of where his authority comes from. It's not self-appointed authority. It's not authority that he roused up in himself by his ability to teach and communicate and draw a crowd or whatever accolades or accomplishments he had. No, it's an authority that comes ultimately by God himself. He says it's an authority that he's been given by the will of God. It is by the will of God that Paul is an apostle. Now that is quite a statement. Paul understands that his call as an apostle and ultimately the life that he lives in apostle, a life that has brought him many, many trials and sufferings that has brought him to the end of his life in chains awaiting his death, his martyrdom. All of this he considers to be a call by the will of God. Secondly, his position is one that's been given by the promise of life in Christ. That is the gospel. Paul was appointed a gospel minister and apostle by the will of God according to the gospel. Calvin summarizes it this way. He says, as from the beginning, God promised eternal life in Christ. So also he appointed Paul to be a minister for proclaiming that gospel. So Paul reminds the church that his apostleship, again, is not one of self-appointment. It is won by the will of God and for the gospel of God. So he reminds them of his position as an apostle. But in verse 2, 
we see a reminder of his position as a spiritual father to Timothy. And this establishes the personal character, the personal tone of, of the letter. Timothy is beloved by Paul. One, due to Paul's role in bringing the gospel to Timothy that led to Timothy's conversion to the faith. And from there, Paul served as a mentor to Timothy to grow in the faith. Paul has great affection and admiration for Timothy because of his loyalty, his partnership in the gospel, and his place as a spiritual father. So he writes to the church, he writes to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It's important to remember that those words Grace, mercy, and peace, though it's typical in Paul's writings, is not merely a formality. Paul truly loves Timothy and he truly loves Christ's church. He's bled for Christ's church. He's suffered and will soon be put to death for her. So the blessing of grace, mercy, and peace is one of genuine intentionality. And it belongs to all that are in Christ. If you are in Christ, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the peace of God belongs to you. So it's really easy to overlook this when we're studying Paul's letters. But don't overlook this blessing whenever you study Paul's letters because it shapes and it guides the tone and the purpose of his letters. Now on to our second reminder whereby Paul seeks to encourage and exhort Timothy and the church a reminder of a loyal and faithful past verses three through five he says I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors which I think is likely a reference specifically to the faithful Old Testament saints and particularly the patriarchs I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Again, as I mentioned, and as we've read before, Paul has great admiration and affection and love and devotion to Timothy. And he expresses that through praying for Timothy regularly. And we see that here. We're reminded of that here. But in verses 3 through 5, Paul reminds Timothy and his readers a past, a past filled with loyalty, friendship, and faithfulness, both of God's faithfulness to Timothy and Timothy's heritage of faith towards God. As he mentions both Timothy's sincere faith, which comes as a gift of God, but also the ancestry of faith particularly Timothy's grandmother and mother who raised Timothy, pointing him to the truth. Paul begins to remind Timothy of his past with this expression of thanks and also a reminder of Timothy's tears. Timothy's tears. Paul is reminded of Timothy's tears as he longs to see him again. We see that in, in verse 4. I'm reminded of your tears I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. These tears are likely a reference to the last time they were together and the last time they parted ways. 
Is it strange to read of such affection between two brothers in Christ? In the past, I know that I could find myself reading past these kinds of verses. As if it was strange to see such affection expressed between one brother and another brother. And of course, this is partly due to the fact that I've never experienced a relationship of this nature and a separation of this nature. But more than that, I think it was due for myself. It was due to never really having an experience of deep affection for the church and what separation from it would look like. I had never experienced that. And that was largely the case, at least for myself, until COVID. And we were forced to be set apart for a season. And what longing we all had at that time to be together again. And what joy we all had when it finally came. I'll never forget our first Sunday at Hodel's and the many Sundays that we spent there. The characters in the parking lot, the dumpster fires, all of the pastoral staff coming down with COVID at the same time, much of our church all getting herd immunity. So it really kind of worked out. It was a blessing and a curse all at the same time. But more than that, more than remembering all of those things, I remember the joy of being together after that initial time apart. Sovereign grace, do you share an affection for the church and a longing to be together like Paul does here for Timothy? Do you have that affection for the church? Do you have that longing when you're experiencing a period of time in separation? I know many of you do, which is why I would think you come together both morning and evening and gather regularly for fellowship and grace groups and through other means. I know this affection is shared for you and for the church among the pastors. Now, continuing on in verse 5, Paul not only recounts this loyalty that he has, that Timothy has shared with him, the deep friendship and companionship and partnership they've experienced, he also reminds Timothy of God's faithfulness to him through the blessing of a faithful ancestry, a faithful heritage. Now, Timothy's father was a Gentile and an unbeliever. And many of you know, and particularly because we read it in the text just moments ago, that his mother and his grandmother were believers, and both of whom were used by God as a means of raising Timothy in the truth. And eventually, this led to saving fruition. And Paul was reminding Timothy that God's faithfulness to him to bring him to faith, to bring him to an understanding of this promise of life that is in Christ. It began long before Paul came preaching. The seeds of faith were ultimately sown before that time through the relationship that Timothy had with his mother and his grandmother. And Paul reminds Timothy of this. Not only is it meant to be a driving force for Timothy to express thankfulness to God, but it's also meant to stir him up to faith and faithfulness even now. Paul says that this was a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and your mother, and he says, and I'm sure also now dwells in you. Paul makes the case clear that the faith that Timothy has began first in his family. 
but it also resides in him as well. That not only did Timothy have a faithful lineage of believers in his family, but as a faith he came to personally trust in as well. Paul recognizes this and confirms this. It's a sincere faith. It's an unhypocritical faith. It's a genuine faith. It's a faith that dwelt first in his family and now in him. Kids, teens that are here this evening, do you see the great blessing that it is to be a part of Christ's church right now and to have believing parents, parents who teach you the truth and point you to Christ, who force you to youth group or force you, right, to Sunday morning worship or Sunday evening, right? Do you see the great blessing that all of that is? Kids, more than just recognizing the blessing and seeing as a blessing, may I encourage you to take hold. Take hold of the truths. Take hold of the truths that you are blessed to have taught to you and displayed to you in the sacraments this morning. The picture of baptism and all that it communicates about the promises of God's grace to us that you received in your own baptism if that applies to you. And as we'll partake in tonight, the picture of the gospel that's presented in the sacraments, do you see the great blessing that it is, kids, that you have to experience that week in and week out? And again, more than that, have you taken hold of it by faith? Have you trusted in the gospel that is proclaimed week after week and upheld to you in these sacraments. Friends, sovereign grace, have you grown lazy, cold, or weak in faith? Remember God calling you to faith. God calling you to trust in the promise of life that is in Christ, the gospel. I pray that you would call that to mind tonight. That you would call to mind God's faithfulness to you and so be stirred. As Paul does so for Timothy in our verses this evening. Now to our last reminder, verses 6 through 7. Russ said 25 to 30 minutes. We'll see. We're getting close. The last reminder that Paul brings before Timothy and the church is a reminder of a present grace. In order to stir Timothy up and to stir the church up to a greater sense of faith and trust and in all that God is and all that God has done for them. And particularly Timothy and his role as a gospel minister, he reminds Timothy of a present grace, a a present reality. Timothy has been gifted by God for ministry. And it's been confirmed by the church. Paul himself was a part of this. Again, look back at our text, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Of my hands, more specifically. Again, Paul was a part of establishing Timothy as a minister for the gospel. Paul has already recalled this moment in Timothy's life. In his previous letter, and he seems, it seems fit and necessary to do it again. Why? Because it is a means by which Timothy 
will be stirred up to perseverance and faithfulness to his call. A reminder that all gospel ministers need from time to time to remember their calling. And so to be stirred up to the task that God has given them and entrusted them with. And Paul, at the end of his life, at the end of his days, writing to his beloved Timothy, seeking to stir and arouse Timothy to press on and to persevere in gospel ministry, he reminds him of his commissioning, of his being called as a proclaimer, as a herald of the gospel, as an evangelist. In verse 6, Paul says he reminds Timothy of these past realities to stir him up to a present reality. He has been gifted by God as a minister, a preacher, and an evangelist. And Paul reminds Timothy, in light of this, fan into flame this gift. Literally, this means to rekindle, to rekindle, or if we were more charismatic church, to set ablaze again. I don't know why that just seemed like it'd be very fitting for that type of group. To set ablaze again, to rekindle. Kids, you understand what this is like or what this means. Growing up, I remember going big family trips, camping, and every night we had a campfire and we fought over, right, who got to add sticks or, you know, leaves or aluminum cans, right, into the fire. And what was the purpose? It was to stoke the flame, right? If it was going out, if it was getting low, or if we just wanted to keep a constant flame, right? You throw more into the fire. And this is the idea that Paul has when he says to fan into flame. It's not specifically known whether Timothy was growing weak or lazy in his duties or not. The point is that Paul, at the end of his life, wants Timothy to be reminded of his gifting and calling. And he wants Timothy to be stirred up to persevere in all that God has before him as a gospel minister. And this will continue to be evident as we work through this second letter. Not only does Paul exhort Timothy by reminding him of his calling, And the need to continuously kindle the gift of God that he has given him. Paul encourages Timothy in verse 7 with a reminder that God graciously provides for what he commands. That God graciously gives all that is needed to carry out what he commands of his people and in particular his gospel ministers. Paul states in verse 7, we did not receive a spirit of fear. Fear may be too weak. Cowardice may be preferred, especially in light of verse 8. Don't be ashamed. Don't flee from the hope that we have in the gospel. Don't be ashamed of it. Be proud of it. Don't shrink back. Don't be a coward. That is not the spirit that we have received. Rather, he says we have received a spirit. More specifically, we have received the Spirit. We have received the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God who is the Spirit of power, of love, and self-control. He says power because it is by God's grace 
through the Spirit in Timothy's life, in all gospel ministers' lives, that they are strengthened to fulfill their ministry. If Timothy is to fulfill his ministry, if gospel ministers are to fulfill the task of taking the gospel and making it known to people, they must be strengthened and not of their own. They must be strengthened by the spirit that God graciously provides them. He says love because it is by God's grace through the spirit in their lives that they are filled with love for their ministry. First and foremost, love for the God who has called them. And then secondly, love for the ones God has called them to minister. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that it's the love of Christ that controls us. The love of Christ that constrains us. First and foremost, the love for Christ that constrains us and controls us. He says self-control because it is by God's grace through the spirit in our lives that they will be able to persevere in ministry with a clear conscience. And contextually, Paul is speaking of himself and Timothy, but this has application to all ministers of the gospel. Your pastors here, the missionaries that we've sent out. So, so sovereign grace, let me exhort you to pray for and encourage your pastors that by God's grace, their gifting and calling would be continuously kindled and inflamed. We're charged by Paul in Hebrews 10 to consider how to stir one another up. We've seen Paul doing that for the church in these opening verses. We've seen Paul doing that for Timothy. How do we do that as well? How do we encourage and stir one another up to faith and to faithfulness? We stir one another up by reminding each other, as Paul has done, of ultimately the power and authority of God's word delivered by the apostles. We stir one another up by reminding each other of the faithfulness of God that brought us to saving faith through the promise of life in the gospel. We stir one another up by encouraging one another to remember the means that God used to bring us to faith, the preaching of the word, godly family members. And lastly, we encourage and stir one another up by the reminder of the present grace of God in us by the Spirit to kindle in all of us that which is needed to grow in faith and faithfulness to him. So with that, let's pray that by God's grace, he would encourage us and kindle us. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace and kindness that is in your Son. God, we pray that your Spirit would apply your word to our lives, God, that we would be edified and built up as we consider Christ our Savior. It's in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.